Thank you, Pastor. I want to say how I have been blessed this morning and fed. And I'm going to make a statement, and this is highly opinionated, of course. But you have heard as much this morning in these two messages that you will hear in some Bible schools in a semester on homiletics. Now, I hope you take all of that to heart. I have not seen Brother Key in probably 25 years, but I remember him when he first began. I believe we preached together in Chipley, and I listened to him, and I thought, that man is going somewhere. He's not just in this for the preaching. He's in it because of the burden that's in his heart. You can tell by the content which he delivered, just a young preacher, just beginning. And so I'll tell you, you have blessed my heart this morning on that subject of books. When I was in school, our professor said there are 10 books every preacher ought to have in their library. I wrote them down, and quick as I could afford them, I bought them. One of them was The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. So I read that and did a lot of thinking. Then I read a book by Woodrow, somebody who followed that same pattern. He just uh, said amen to everything Mr. Hislop had said. Then he wrote another book, and I read this book, and in this book he refuted what he'd said in the first book and what Alexander Hislop had said. So that was good information. So I appreciate that. Okay. Now we've been in a we have been in a vein this morning of exhortation, of instruction and teaching. And I want to do some instructing, but it's going to be more on an admonition level. I went home after the service last night thinking about what I was going to preach this morning. And last night I took a text out of Hebrews 4 and I preached or tried to on what the Word of God is. This morning I had purposed on preaching what the Word of God does, such as convict, convert, cleanse, comfort, and on down the line. But I think the Lord pulled me away from that. The last thought I had on my heart last night was Proverbs 6. And I woke up this morning and it was, as Dr. Harold Sattler would say, it's burning, brethren. And so I want to begin in chapter 6 of Hebrews and read rather slowly down through verse 33. And uh, I trust the Lord will help us. I trust the Lord will help me. I need help. We had Dr. John Cormick with us on at least three occasions. 
And one morning at the breakfast table, Dr. McCormick said, a young man approached me the other day and said, Dr. McCormick, how old do you have to be before the flesh quits bothering you? He said, son, I'm 65 years old and you're going to have to ask somebody older than me. Gentlemen, I'm 80 years old and you're going to have to ask somebody older than me. So here we go. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. Now, notice firstly about the phrase, thine heart, bind them continually upon thine heart as an ordinance and tie them about thy neck as an ornament. As a lady is proud of her necklace and wants to show it as she brings it outside her top garment. The law of the Lord ought to be looked upon by you and I in that same matter, manner. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. And when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life, the lamp to our eyes for discovery, to our feet for direction. Matthew Henry wrote that. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of her tongue, of a strange woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. May I say this woman that Solomon is warning, and if anybody in the Bible should know what women can do to a man, it should have been Solomon. So he's warning his son here and he's telling him the flattery of her tongue. She knows how to allure. Lust not after her beauty. She knows how to appear. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. She knows how to attract. May I say a woman can say more with her eyes than I can say with my mouth. And so that is a good idea here to always keep in mind. For the means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, 
shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. There is a stain that always follows an adulterous affair. And I want to say, God takes away the adultery, adulterous affair when we repent of it. But the stain is going to remain. And he says here, his reproach shall not be wiped away. One of the illustrations I use in one of my books, I can't remember which one it is, but my wife brought, bought a beautiful red dress and it had a white collar that came down about this far and I just loved it and she did too. She wore it often and one day she got some food on it and of course this when we got home she did everything she could to remove the food and was successful but she couldn't get the stain out. So we sent it and had it professionally cleaned and told the dry cleaner where the spot was, I'll take care of that. When we got it back, you could not tell that the stain was there, but you could put it in a certain light and that stain was there. And that's the way it is. I'm talking about the light of the word of God. When you put the light of the word of God upon that stain, it's always going to appear. Now, I know that there are men. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. That's not my purpose. And I want to say this, that I am not here to accuse. I'm not here to abuse. I'm giving you what God has burdened my heart with. But I, I'm telling you, I, I have a problem with these men who call themselves preachers and go out and commit adultery and then try to get back in the pulpit and continue. If I know better, I will not preach for one. If I know better, I will not preach with one. Now listen, I am nothing. I want you to know I'm probably the worst preacher in this whole congregation. And I mean that with every fiber of my being. But I'm not much, but what I am, I am. And by the grace of God, God has convinced me of some things in this book. And by his help, I'm going to stay with them. And I became concerned about this matter of a, of a man of one wife. And you hear so much about one at a time and all of this time of stuff. And that happened to me before I got saved. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This book is right. 
Amen. Now I'm going to go with this book. And I, I was studying behind Kenneth Wiest. And Kenneth Wiest said that phrase actually means a one-womaned man. And, he's, and he likened it to an Airedale dog. He said an Airedale dog will be friends of every member of the family. But he'll pick out one master. And that one member of that family, he is going to be alleged to more than any other member of that family. And so what I'm saying unto you is, I'm going to stay with the Bible. And if I am going to err, I'm going to err on the side that I believe this word of God is teaching. All right, now, listen, my desire to discuss, and I cannot ever get it done, I never finish, amen. I go to even preach a series, I never get it done. Uh, 1974, I heard Dr. B.R. Lakin preach at Camp Zion, Myrtle, Mississippi, the only time I was ever privileged to go to what Dr. Ray called the Power Conference, and he made this statement, he said, any more my sermons are like a long freight train. He said, I just pull over to a side rail, kick out a few cars, and keep going down the track. Well, I was a young preacher. That didn't mean much to me then. But I'm telling you, it registers heavily now. My desire, as I said, is not to accuse it's not to point out any weaknesses or shortcomings in any person's life. But I believe this book. Amen. I'm, hallelujah. I'm glad God convinced me that this is the word of God. And amen. It does, as Dr. Lester Roloff said, it does not need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. And I want to say that God has never had any problem of saying what he meant or meaning what he said. And God does not need any 21st century scholar to straighten him out on what he should have said rather than what he did say. Amen. This thing, I'm telling you, that tears the matter of eternal life all to pieces. Amen. I'm, listen, I've done some, I've done some things I'm ashamed of since God saved me by His marvelous grace, but He did not leave me. He did not let me alone. Our responsibility is to forgive. Amen. To forgive. That's what we're taught to do and to go on by the help and the grace of God. I remember, preacher, I preached this text back when I was pastoring somewhere around 2010. The best my notes refer me to. And I preached five times from this very text in our church and so I, I went home after I had finished that uh, Sunday morning and I thought, am I too hard? Am, am I too plain? Uh, I mean, Lord, help me here. And so uh, that Sunday night, I felt led to go back to it again that Sunday night. 
And before I retired for the night, three cases of immorality was given me. And I knew all that were involved in those matters of immorality. A nurse exited our building after that service on Sunday night and said, Preacher, don't quit. Amen. Don't quit. Amen. I'm telling you, and by God's grace, I'm not going to quit. I have seen too many. Amen. In 50 years, I've seen it happen so many times. And I've heard all kinds of excuses given. There is no excuse. A man approached me, approached me with a matter, Brother Piercy, of, uh, he had heard somewhere that when the man and the woman come together, um, intimately, then that consummates the marriage. He said, what do you think about it? I said, when you said I do, that consummated the marriage. Because we make those vows before God Almighty. I've got a wonderful wife. Brother Piercy knows her well. We were talking about him on the way to the service this morning. We love this man of God. He's been such a blessing to so many people. Uh, We've lived together for 57 years. And I want to say she has not always pleased me in everything she's done. But I have no right to fuss. I'm full of faults. I'm full, amen, of mistakes myself. But I'll tell you one thing. I said I do. And hallelujah, she said I do. And by the grace, they're going to lay me in the tomb. Oh, by I want to say, thank God there is grace for every need. And when you think you can't get by with it, I assure you God has a shovel of grace to push towards you. You can make it. You can live with her. And fellas, let's not hear of another casualty. Our story suggests toying with temptation. And I preached for a pastor in Virginia. And I was young then. And he'd asked me to come up. I hadn't preached many revivals and preached for him, a dear brother. Had a Christian school, and I was privileged to preach to the students and preach at night in his church. One day we were sitting out in his pickup truck. Now remember, we were facing out over a field. The wind was blowing hard. The trees were waving. The grass was waving. And he said, Preacher, said I want to ask you something. said, Do you know, and he called this preacher's name, and I said, uh, no, and he told me then he was the son of, a, of another preacher. And I said, oh, I know his daddy. I know him very well. And he said, well, and you don't know him? I said, no. He said, I want to tell you something he said to me, and I want to get what you think about it. I said, all right. He said, he told me that he would... Uh, uh, let's see, how did he say? Just see how far 
he could get with a woman. Now, I'm telling you what this pastor said. And he said, now, I don't ever intend on doing anything wrong, but I just sometimes see how far I can go with her. He said, what do you think of that? I said, he's a fool. It's exactly what I said. And that's exactly what I meant. And later on, the, evidently he met one that took him farther than he intended to go. And that's the thing. And I want to get to that matter in just a minute. And what we're finding here, if you look with me in verse 27, I want to say a fool is a man, is, a man is a fool to take fire in his bosom and not expect it to be burned. Amen. May I say that he is a fool to walk on hot coals, not expecting his feet to be burned. Gentlemen, inside all of us is a raging beast. Amen. And this beast must not be allowed to get out of his cage. He can roar and he can pull at the bars and he uh, he can scratch all that he wants to but he must be kept under control now stay with me just a minute if you will please all right stay with me uh, just a few minutes all right now i want to say this there is such a thing as a point of no return and once you cross that point it's all over. You're done for. You're not going to be, you are helpless. You're not going to be able to get back where you were. And I want to say only the Holy Ghost can keep that beast in control. And so, and can keep him in his cage. I remember when I first went to the tabernacle, there was a man uh, that uh, we needed some uh, gov guttering work done on the church. And so I asked the song leader, I said, who could do this work on the church? And he named a man. And he said, this man is as good as there is. And I checked and he, he was just a household word when it came to guttering. So I called him and he agreed to come and to do the work. So I went down and watched them as they worked. And so up on the roof was his, was a young man. And so several cars would go by and they would honk the horn and he'd wave at them and smile and they would holler something at him and he would say something back. And I thought, boy, that's a very friendly, nice guy. And so I said to the owner of the company, he was watching his men work. And I said, boy, that seems like a real fine young man up there. And he said, uh, preacher said, that's my son. I said, well, I know you're proud to have him. And he said, well, let me tell you a story. He said, my son was raised in church and said, we never missed the church service. We never missed a revival. But said, he showed some interest in a young woman and this woman and he went out one night and said she introduced him to the wild side of life and said he's never 
been, been anything like that, like he was. He's not gone back to church, and he, he's not interested in the things of God anymore. Well, in just a few years, the owner of this company died, and of course his son took over the business. Well, the business is no more, and I'm sure you know why. And I'm telling you these stories and illustrations or whatever they are, and I promise you there's not a one of them exaggerated. I tell a lot of stories in my books, but not a one of them is exaggerated. I tell the truth, and just like I'm telling you now. I, went, I, I know several of you in here know Brother Larry Rains. And we attended his camp meeting every year. We'd take a whole van load and sometimes cars following us to his meeting. And so I arrived there one day and they said, do you know uh, so-and-so? And I said, no. And they said, well, he just preached a while ago. For some reason, I missed that morning service. And I can't remember why. Maybe I'd had a tooth pull at, at uh, Camp Lejeune, I'd had a tooth pull, and the dentist, he did not know what, he didn't realize it, of course, but, and I didn't realize, I thought I had developed a dry socket, and if you've ever had one of them, you know the aggravation that thing can be. I had taken antibiotics, I'd taken pain pills, and maybe I just didn't go to that morning service. I can't remember why. But anyway, when I arrived, there was a, 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 a sheet of paper that, people, that men were giving out, two or three men. And they said, you should have been here and heard this young preacher this morning. And they called his name. I can't even remember his name. This has been many years ago. And they said, he preached and he read this letter at the conclusion of his message. And I, I kept that. I just stuck it back in my Bible and kept it. And every once in a while I would look at it. And they said, you should have heard him preach. Said, he's not been preaching but a year or two. And said, he's been in over a hundred churches. I said, over a hundred churches? At that time I'd been preaching probably ten years. I hadn't been in over a hundred churches and you're this one guy is two years. He's been in over 100 churches. I thought, man, that guy's going somewhere and everybody's just bragging on talking about him. Well, I went back in uh, the next year or it may have been the year after that. And they said, did you? I said, where's that young man? I want to hear him preach. They said, haven't you heard? I said, no, I don't even know the fellow. And I may have seen him, but I can't even remember that. They said, well, on his job, he got mixed up with a woman. A woman enticed him and said he, he went out. And he, well, so many things are coming to mind. Preacher, I hope I'm not boring you. And, and he and said he got mixed up with a woman and he realized what he had done. And he went out and killed himself. And I thought, how awful. I don't even, to this day, I couldn't, I, if you told me his name, I, would, I wouldn't even, I, I couldn't remember it. 
But I'm just telling you things that happen. I was at Brother Steve Ward's camp meeting. And so uh, this, this young fella got up to preach. I, I don't know who he was. I'm afraid to describe him. But I can see his face just like I can see yours. And he preached. Here's what his text was. On the responsibility of the church to the pastor and the pastor's responsibility to the church. That was the greatest message I think I had ever heard. And he preached that Wednesday morning. He said, I've got to leave. I'll start a revival tonight in a certain church. And so he took off after he preached. But I got his name. I said, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to call that fellow and I'm going to have him to come and preach to our church that very message. I'm sure he was. He was in evangelism. And I'm sure he would have done that. And so uh, I had uh, Brother Chad Bailey. And, uh, uh, and his brother at that time, that's been many years ago, and they came to our church and preached a youth revival. And so they said, have you heard about so-and-so? And I said, uh, no, I hadn't heard anything. And, uh, and I said, I, I don't even know who you're talking about because I didn't know the man's name. I was going to call Brother Ward and get it and get a hold of it. And he said, uh, well... He said, he got mixed up with a woman. I said, what? I said, you've got to be kidding. I said, that guy that had that and looked this and he said, yeah. He said, you know, he preached at Brother Ward's because Brother Chad always came. He was raised up in that church. And he said, um, he preached in that, in that meeting and then he went to that, he went to that preacher's uh, house and he said that preacher worked and he stayed at the house and his wife was there and he said somehow they got together and the preacher had had a surgery and of course that prevented him you fellas know what I'm talking about prevent him from being able to produce any children. And said she came up with child. So she had to tell him what happened. Well, this evangelist called his pastor, and I talked to his pastor, and his pastor told me about it when I, I was over there in a meeting. He had me to come for a meeting and told me the story. And he called him, and he, said, he told him what he'd done. So the pastor wisely said, get off the road and come back to church and sit here. Build your home. Sit here. Don't let that be destroyed. Well, lo and behold, on a Wednesday night, the pastor had me come down, stand in front, and had all the people come by and shake my hand. I think maybe that was the last night of the meeting. And he had me come down, all the people come down and shake my hand. And they did. And you know who was in line? That young man. And he came by. And I saw him. I, I stuck my hand out. And we shook hands. And I said, it's good to see you, brother. And he looked at me. I, and he said, 
pray for me. And you know what I did, Pastor? When I left that meeting, I prayed and prayed and prayed. God, don't ever take the image of that man's face out of my mind. Let me be able to see what he looked like and what sin had done to that young man. One of the greatest preachers, I'm telling you, that I ever heard preach. Oh, listen, it just goes on and on and on. Dr. James Crumpton, we were privileged to have him at our church at least twice. And Dr. Crumpton, I was not at the meeting, but I heard about it. And fact is, somebody gave me a tape of his preaching at Brother Sammy Allen's camp meeting. And he, he was preaching on, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he said, he said, I'm getting so sick and tired of these young girls coming up and, and, uh, asking me to pray for them that they feel in their heart that they want to marry a preacher and said, uh, Dr. Crumpton said, everyone I go with can't keep his hands off me. Oh, God has reserved some things between you and your wife that no one else deserves to ever have. And keep that, amen, until that night. I'm going to tell you something to the young men and the young women. Nobody else may know it but you and God. But on your wedding night, you're going to remember You've not saved yourself. Our text deals with the great sins of our society and their sexual sins. And I'm telling you, we've almost reached the place that it's expected how do young boys and girls to do such and our society has done everything they can to cover it up and make all kinds of excuses for it and offer remedies for it and everything else. I'm telling you, there's probably more young men have been destroyed. And I was thinking this morning, you could give me a sheet of paper and I could probably write a name on each line, front and back, of what I know. That's been destroyed. And I'm going to tell you something. It would probably scare a bunch of us preachers to death if we knew those whom we preach to, all that's going on. That's covered up. This thought comes to mind, and I always, when I married any couple, I always counseled them at least four and a half hours before I would marry them. That saved me from having to marry some people. And I always warned that young man about pornography. That is a wicked sin. It's a private sin. I always warned them. And I tell them when I'm warning them about this, if I'm walking the corridor of a mall, and I see a way ahead of me a, a, a store that sells this intimate apparel and they've got to have it plastered right on the wall where you can see it. I cross the hall and turn my head when I walk by that place. 
I know what I am apart from the Holy Ghost. And I know what I could do before daylight if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Ghost. And I've seen so many men, and you know about them, and you've read about them, men that could preach circles around me especially and getting involved in this and it destroying them. And I, I preached for a man not long ago that told me the sad story of, of his dad being caught up in all of this stuff. And I'm telling you, I would say more young men probably have been destroyed uh, by women than any other thing. Amen. Movies, suggestive movies, magazines and music. We had preacher, a young man in our church that was called to preach. He even pastored two churches. And then after that, he got out and another preacher in our church that was related to him distantly went to try to talk to him. And I I suppose, I know the older preachers remember this. Back years ago, I believe it was Ralph Sexton Jr., that had a series, if I remember correctly, maybe it was seven messages on rock music. And he was called to go many places and preach that. Well, every preacher thought they ought to get them a message on rock music too. And so this young preacher, he got him a message on it. He got to listening to it. But you see, what he didn't take into consideration, Ralph Sexton Jr. had never listened to that. And so he got to listening to it and it stirred up that flesh. Amen. That lust. Amen. That, that beast that's in him and it stirred him up and got him back in again. And he was a vendor and he said, all the stores I go in are playing it. And he said, I, I just, it's in my mind. It's in my, I can't get away from that. And I'm telling you what this preacher testified. He said, it's a music. I can't serve God. It's got me. And I want to say that young man died very early in life. They all expressed the same old theme. Here I am with you, but loving her. Country music's full of it. Full of it. It's all the same thing. It's a married couple and a devilish third party. All of it. Give me the gospel hymns. That you have been singing here. That's the only kind of music I'm going to listen to. Amen. That's the only kind it feeds my soul. Songs I was raised in that grandma shouted her bonnet off and grandpa shouted the shirt out of his overalls. I'm telling you, that's what I want to hear. Something that feeds my soul. Not something that makes me want to stomp my feet, but something makes me want to lift my hand and praise the Lord God of heaven who made me and who saved me and who keeps me and who blesses me. Now James chapter 1 and verse 15. Lust is compared 
with the birthing process. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. It's impossible to have a conception without a birth unless there is an abortion along the way. Daddy devil comes courting mama lust. And he does every day in all of our lives. Oh, and I'm thinking of something. To all you who are married, if your wife tells you you better watch a certain woman, you better listen. I don't know. I'm just going to tell you we men are pretty stupid in this area. We think somebody is appreciative of us and somebody's appreciative of our love for the Lord and all they're trying to do is dangle that. If she, if she says you watch that woman you better write it down. I don't know what God put in a woman but he gave her a radar we don't have. She can see things you and I cannot see. And to you young men, I want to say to you, amen. And this one fellow said, I want you to pray that I'll get a pretty formed girl. I said, that's probably what you don't need. And fellas, I'm going to tell you something right now. If she's a flirt now, she's going to be a flirt after you marry. You better just get that down, young men. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, this is, this is a crude illustration, but from those books he was talking about you read. And uh, I read where that if you was going to buy a puppy and you went to the pet store and looked in these, you know, they have seven or eight little old same breed dogs in one little cage and you're looking at them and they said, all those around the front jumping and trying to get to you said, don't pay attention to them. Could you look at that one back in the corner head that doesn't seem a bit interested in you at all? Said, that's the one you get. <laughs> now you make the application yourself. And I'm not calling a woman a dog either. I'm using that as an illustration. If she's got eyes and friendly gestures for everybody that comes along, she's going to keep them. You marrying her is not going to change her. You better get one that only has you in sight. Amen. And you're the one that brings a pleasure to her heart and to her life. But then, if mama yields to daddy devil, there's going to be a conception take place. This conception is going to bring forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, is going to bring forth death. 
Now, Samson here is counseling his son concerning the evil woman. Look in verse 24. And also the strange woman in verse 24, a whorish woman in verse 26, an adulteress in verse 26. And so he's warning, warning her, her flattering tongue, her fanciful beauty, her fluttering eyelids. She will speak what you want to hear. She will so, show you what you want to see, and she will snare you with her eyes. A man is brought to a piece of bread. She will seduce you into sin. She will strip you of your spirituality. She will stain your standing. She will sap your strength and she will sink you into scarcity brought to a piece of bread. How many men is or are in bondage to this sin? Blackmailed because of this sin. Broken in health because of this sin. Burning in hell because of this sin. I'm going to give you one more story. I had an uncle named Jack Brummett. I never saw Jack Brummett except when he was working. But what he was had alcohol around him. Now, if he ever drank liquor, I don't know, but he, he was a beer drinker. I heard him tell a man this. He said, I've drunk enough beer in quart beer bottles alone to dam up Clinch River. I told my daddy what he had said. He said, son, he told you the truth. I can remember, he said, when he had a bedroom and this bedroom was empty and he'd put his bottles, beer, quart beer bottles in there and back his pickup truck to the front door and shove them and load them up and haul them off a truck load. He said, I've seen him do it many, many times. My uncle approached me one time when I was just a boy working at a lumber mill, and he said, James, my uncle, Jack Brum, at this time he was probably, oh, maybe uh, in his late 50s. He might have been in his early 60s, but I doubt it, his late 50s. And he, he walked like this. And he looked up at me and he said, James, if you want to live to be an old man, leave women and booze alone. God bless 